0: the Incredibles that's Mr. Incredible who thinks he's invincible who gets trapped and highlighted for me uh what we're going to talk about this morning we're going to talk about that what do you do when you think you're invincible and then you find yourself trapped my name's Scott one of the pastors here I'm very glad you decided to join us today thank you so much we're honored that you'd be here with us uh this has been an interesting week in the life of our country hasn't it now, I don't know what you think about all that, we're not, we're not, this is not what we're talking about this morning, but it happened, so I feel like, you know, hey, we need to say something about it, uh, and it's for many, many people, very confusing, and here's what I've found, is when things are confusing on the outside, what's important is to find, instead of trying to solve what's outside of me, to get clarity on the inside, so this is why we're here this morning. Now, I don't know what you think about uh, all that's happened uh, in our country and who's in the White House. I don't know if you think that's the great hope or the great Satan. I don't, I don't know what you think. Uh, I do know that the scriptures tell us to, to pray for our leaders, and um, here's what I've also found about prayer, is that you don't have to like someone to pray for them. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Uh, there's a guy who's a, a leader in the, the network of churches that we're a part of globally named uh, Bill Prince a number of years ago I heard him say this he said when you hate somebody pray for them when you do that one of two things will happen you'll either stop praying or you will stop hating that's pretty powerful right <laughs> so I, I thought it'd be it makes sense for us together just to pause in this moment in the life of our country, and pray for our leaders. Could we do that together? Would you pause with me for a moment, and let's do that before we jump in today. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we come to you uh, as, as that, as the Lord, as the King, as the one who looks at nations, uh, your, the psalmist says, and laughs while nations make their plots. And the nations, uh, the psalmist says, are like a drop in the bucket to you. This is nothing to you. We see this and we get worried or excited, uh, And but this is nothing to you. You see everything. You're so much bigger than this circumstance. So God, I pray that you would uh, forgive us for, uh, as a church, when we've put our hopes in a certain political party. We've sinned in that way. and We've thought that a certain political party is more aligned with your purposes than another, and, and we confess that that's not right, that that's idolatry. And so, God, where we've put our hopes in the Democratic Party or in the Republican Party, uh, we confess, those of us who follow you, the idolatry of doing that, and we instead put our hope in you, put our trust in you. And so, God, I pray for us as the church, as your people, that we'd be the people who care about the oppressed, we'd be people who care about the disenfranchised, the people who care about the poor, the people who care about race relations, the people who care about the people who are on all of the margins and all the places in our society and our world. We don't want to lose that thinking that some political uh, entity is going to bring us everything we've ever wanted or it's going to destroy everything we've ever hoped. We don't want to be guilty of that. We want to be your people who are secure in uh, our understanding and our standing with you and and understand our calling to make a difference in the world. So God use us to do that regardless of who's in that room in that White House. uh, Let us be your people who do the things that you care about and care about the people you care about. So we ask this in your name and by your power, and all God's people said, amen. Well, we get together every week so that we can reorient ourselves, and one of the ways we do that is we read the scriptures, and we look at what they mean for our life. So I'd invite you to stand with me, if you would. We're going to read this passage of scripture together that we've been looking at for several weeks, and we'll look at it one more time next week, Uh, and we're paying attention to this together. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, one of the letters that Paul wrote. And uh, I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. And if you have a Bible or a smartphone or our app, you can uh, open it and keep it there. We'll be looking at it together. This is what the Apostle Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore christ's ambassadors as though god were making his appeal through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god this is the word of the lord you may be seated there's an ancient uh, greek myth about how the world began and uh one of the one of the myths says that uh, the gods fought each other that the gods of Olympus, Zeus and Hera and all of those people that maybe you learned about in school, fought the Titans, and one of those Titans' name was Atlas, and uh, the Titans lost. And as punishment, the gods took Atlas, and they said, you're now to hold up the heavens, you're now to hold up the earth. And so you've probably seen a picture of that man who's holding up the earth, that's Atlas, or even where we get the word Atlas. Uh, And it's also where we get the idea of the weight of the world, Uh, being on your shoulders and that's what we're going to talk about today not the weight of the world we're going to talk about the weight of your world and how the grace of God can lift it now this is a series about God's grace if you don't know what grace is that's a word in the in the New Testament in the Bible that means gift that's the root meaning of the word and the gift that God gives to us to anyone who wants to receive that gift is that what you have done in your life is not the final sentence on who you are and because it's not the final sentence on who you are, then you can have a do-over in your life. That God's grace enables do-overs in your life. Now the, the goal of this series is that you would find a satisfying life in God. If you were here the first week, I quoted a guy named Dallas Willard who said, if we don't find a satisfying life in God, we invariably will turn to some sort of substitute. And I want you to find a satisfying life in God. If, if without it, you'll, in the words of the, the song from a number of years ago, you'll always be looking for love in all the wrong places. That'll always be the truth about your life. But the reality is, is that God, uh, God's grace is for your whole life. Sometimes in Christian circles, we get the idea that what God is interested in is the spiritual part of us, as though that's more important than the other parts of us. And so we segment off the rest of our life and basically leave it untouched from God's grace. And we just say, well, God wants to take care of us, our spirit, which he certainly does. But God's not interested in just your spiritual life. He's interested in your entire life. He's interested in your body and in your emotions and in your relationships. And next week we'll talk about your finances. He's interested in his grace going through every part of your life and giving it, making it possible for you to have a do-over in every part of your life. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about something that I observe As a pastor, in dealing with people, and honestly, anyone who deals with people, I think, would give you the same observation, and it's something about us as human beings that I see routinely keeps people stuck. It keeps people stuck from getting closer to God. Uh, It keeps people stuck in their relationships, getting closer to other people. It keeps people stuck from ever getting to the place where they feel like they have a genuine purpose in life, and they wake up in the morning with, uh, with purpose. And here's the thing that I see that keeps people stuck again and again and again. It's their emotions. Now I'm not saying by that that emotions are bad and that your emotions are wrong. Uh, our emotions are part of what it means to be a human being. Uh, what I mean is that those, uh, those emotions that you and I feel often become like a wall, like a literal wall that we can't get past. So fear will become for someone a wall. Mistrust will become for someone a wall. Anger, resentment, bitterness, All of these emotions become like a wall. Now, here's the the reality with a wall. Like any wall, if you can't see the door, you think the wall will never end. And so you don't know that there's life on the other side of that wall. And so people get stuck. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Christians in in Corinth, which is ancient Turkey, he understood this about us and writes and addresses uh, uh, this whole subject of emotions in this passage right here. And what he, what he says to us, he says something very, very insightful about this circumstance. And then he gives us something that's incredibly freeing. Because what he's doing here, he's describing what it was that Jesus did when Jesus was here walking on earth and dies on the cross for our sins and rises again from the drape. He's describing what Jesus did. And so he sums it up in verse 19. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Here's the insight. The insight is this, it's what you and I count in our life that makes life heavy. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> we pick things up, right? We pick up weights. It might be a weight of something that we did when we were younger, and we look back and we regret it, and uh, maybe we partied a lot and we lost a lot of brain cells and, and we lost a lot of time or we, you know, whatever happened. And we pick it up, and we carry it around like a weight. Like, you know, I, I was that kind of person, and I wish I was a different person now, but I was, I was, that was just kind of a part of me, and I'll never be able to get rid of it. I mean, you, it's not that heavy if you pick up just one weight, right? I mean, how, you can carry this for a while, right? But then what happens is that we pick up other weights along the way. In addition to the, the one weight we pick up, maybe the weight is uh, what someone said to us when we were younger, right? The weight gets a little heavier when you do that. And you, you, someone said something to you when you were younger, and it kind of stuck with you. I remember when I was in the third grade, I was in Mrs. Healy's third grade class. And uh, I was the eager beaver kid who always raised his hand when the teacher had a question. And so the, the teacher said, class, we're learning to do cursive writing. Uh, who would like to come up and demonstrate cursive writing on the board? Hand shot up immediately, Scott. Come up to the board. So I went up to the board, all proud that I knew how to write in cursive. Uh, So I went up there, and I wrote my whatever the word was on the board, and I was so proud of myself. I remember going back to my seat and sitting down, and I'm sure Mrs. Healy didn't mean anything by this as a teacher. But what she said next was, class, class, do you see how Scott's L goes one way and his K goes another way? That is not how you write in cursive, class. I'm, I'm sure she didn't say it like that. But as a little third grader, that's what I felt. And I'm telling you, I picked up a weight that day. And I carried it around with me for a long time. Now you might, ca- how long can you carry? You know, carry, a cup, just a cut, I'm talking a couple things. How long can you hold on to that weight? Then it can be other things. I couldn't pick this third one up with one hand and the other service. But we'll see, maybe I can make it happen. Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't know that I can here we go. Ready? Oh, hang on. There we go. <laughs> yeah, right. Now it gets more complicated, right? You're holding on to more weight. Maybe it's something you said to somebody. And am I the kind of person who says those kinds of things to people? And you're trying to hold all these weights, right? I know, my foot's going to fall. Someone's warning me. Hang on, right? What happens? At some point, the things that you've picked up are too heavy for you. See, it's what we count that makes life heavy. Isn't that true? Now, the word that Paul uses here, he, when he says count, it's an accounting word. And uh, I'm, I'm going to quote you right with the, the biblical commentator I was reading about this this week. Said, he said this, he said, To count means to keep a mental record of events for sake of future action. How many of you have done that? You've, like, I've got to remember that so that that never happens to me again. Uh, Said this to add up in one's mind. How many of us have a list in our brain of all the things that we've done or been said to us or carry around? How many many of us have that? Then he said this to make a list in one's heart. Isn't that it? Isn't that what makes life so heavy? We have a list in our heart of things that we wish we could undo. It is what we count that makes life heavy. Because here's what we do. I see this all the time as a pastor. We count it. We hold on to it. We feel the emotion of it. The emotion becomes like a wall and life goes on hold. Let me say it to you like this. Weights make life weight. Now, here's what's freeing, because he gives us an insight, but he tells us what's freeing. If, if it's what I count that makes life heavy, then it's what God counts that gives me life. I count all kinds. I got lists all over the place in my mind, on my heart, but it's what God counts that gives me life. Now, what Paul says, what does God count? Now, he gives it to us in the negative, negative. and he says it's what God's not counting. God does not count people's sins against them. Now, he's not talking about those other people. He's talking about me. And he's talking about you. He's talking about the list that you and I carry around. He's saying that God is is counting what Jesus did, not what you have done. Now, the word he uses there for sin, there's different words in the New Testament written in another language for describing what sin is. But he's talking about like this severe violation, this moral failure, this sense that I didn't measure up, that I know that I did the wrong things. And, And he says, that's the thing that God's not counting against you. And Paul says, just if we'd be honest, and, and we would say, listen, there's the list of the things that I've screwed up in my life. The list is long. And here's what Paul says God is not counting that against you, He is not holding that over your head. Again, it's this accounting term. It's like the account receivable or the account payable of your soul. And, and if, you, if you would honestly look at the list, you would see that maybe God has a right to have something against you. But then, and so we go, well, I'm guilty. That's me. All right, that's us. That's me. I, and we, so we, we feel like we're going to have to carry around guilt for the rest of our life. And many people grow up in church, and they think that's the whole thing, that you grow up and you just carry around guilt all the time, and you feel terrible for everything that ever happened. And what Paul says is, no, what, that if you're in Christ... God does not hold that over your head ever again. I do not count that against you. If someone came to your house today and a special courier showed up at your door, rang your doorbell, and said, uh, hey, I've got a notice here. It's from all of your creditors, from the person who holds your car loan, the person who holds your mortgage, the person if you have credit card debt, the credit card debt companies, they've all written in, and they want to forgive the debt completely. So I'm here to deliver this note to you that all of your debt is gone. Do you know what kind of freedom you would feel? Woo! So you got to get, you get your emotions around that. That's what Paul's saying. God does not count that the ledger has been wiped clean. There is nothing that God holds against you anymore. He's written paid across your account. So if weights make life weight, you got to understand that God can't wait to take your weight. If weights make, weights make life weight, but God can't wait, to Take your weight. So Paul ends it and he says, So then be reconciled to the God who holds nothing over your head. Because this is how you get rid of the list and the weight. Well, I want you to see this uh, kind of fleshed out in some people's lives. So each week in this series, we've been having a panel of people coming up. And so some of my friends are going to come up right now and uh, you're going to get to hear from them about how they've gotten. Uh, the weights off of their heart and mind and life. And so as they come up here, would you just welcome them up here? <laughs> I'll introduce you to them as they come up here. Uh, down over here is David Simpson on the end. David Simpson is a part of our church. And uh, David is a professor at VU and teaches in the psychology department, graduate Graduate Studies, there's a name for it, I know, but graduate it's programming gradu- programming. Graduate Programming Counseling. And this is a new friend, this is uh, David Hartman. David is a colleague of David's, he's a, uh, also a counselor. And um, then this is Jen, if you've been around here, you know Jen Collins, she's part of our prayer team down front. So uh, I'd love for you guys to tell people your, a little bit of your story, the emotional part of your story about the weights that you've brought in life. Um, and I'm going I'm to start with you, Jen. So people know you as this positive, strong person, who has it together, that was not always the case.
1: No, it most definitely wasn't. I am the middle child. I have an older brother and a younger sister, and the best way I could describe my childhood growing up was a living hell. I really can't remember a day that I wasn't abused. Um, I, I remember being a little girl, having a fireman's hat on, you know, trotting down the stairs, and... I don't remember what I did, but I do remember what happened. And I remember getting the crap knocked out of me. Um, I was the only kid abused. If you ask my brother and sister, they have a completely different memory of our childhood. And um, I don't really remember a day that I I didn't get abused. I remember my mom used to suffocate me. And we had a long house. And she used to beat me from the front door to the back door. And she used to put her hands over my mouth. Now, when I go to the dentist, I can't even do laughing gas because it mimics that that Mm. feeling. From 7th grade to 11th grade, I fantasized, and that is such a terrible adjective, but I literally fantasized about why was I here. I, I, I prayed. I remember praying to God to just end my life. I, I hated living. I hated my parents. I just didn't get it. Why me? Why not my brother? Why not my sister? When you have the two people who were supposed to protect you and they're literally violating you every day, you don't tell anyone who's going to help you? From seventh to 11th grade, as I said, I, I, I dreamt of, of wanting to end my life. And I would picture when I got my first car, I, I lived near Lake Michigan in, in Hammond. And I remember driving and visualizing driving my car into in Lake Michigan. I, I, I don't remember trying to take my life, but I remember praying. And I was, so, I was so pissed off at God. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why me? It was a living hell. That's the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah, in the first service, you're talking about your hands.
1: Yeah, the hands. Um, That's a good point. Um, Mrs. Butterworth's syrup used to come in a glass bottle. I know that not because I was around when it was invented, but I have a scar to the left of my eye. I had a bottle thrown over my head. My hands are crooked. My fingers go in because I wasn't moving fast enough, so my mom slammed my hands repeatedly in the car Silly me, it was a Ford LTD and it was white and it had maroon seats. I remember that. I, I, There's just a lot of things that had happened to me, and I can tell you about Mrs. Butterworth's and the Ford LTD, but those aren't scars of who I was, but who I came from. And it, it's a reminder every day. But you mm-hmm. know what? I'm not a victim, I'm a victor.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so David, if, uh, since, you're, since you're a professor of psychology, obviously you had a perfect childhood growing up and never, you had no problems in your family. That's correct. That's right, that's, yeah. that's pretty much how you got to where you are now, right? What's no. the story, how did you get to that point?
2: <laughs> My life um, was a different living hell, but that was such a good descriptor for what I, I think I experienced as well. It was a very different way. I, I came from an abusive uh, environment as well, but not physically abusive, it was emotionally, mentally abusive. My Stepfather was an alcoholic, and uh, just very—he was a violent alcoholic. When he wasn't drinking, he was actually a great guy, a very pleasant guy, a very loving guy. Uh, but he drank most of the time, so that we didn't see that very often. Um, what we did see that, um, was just pretty abysmal. It was really bad. Um, one, just really quick story as an example. Um, My my sister is seven years older than me. She was 11th, 12th grade, so do the math. Um, I was younger, but I remember waking up to the screaming and horrible noise, and my sister's boyfriend, who was a state champion wrestler, had my stepdad in some funky hold thing where he was all like a pretzel, and he was doing that to protect the family. I woke up in the middle of this and came into the room and... um, That same night, my uh, stepdad threatened to kill us all, which is, that's, so it's kind of that kind of environment. It was really, really pretty bad. So that's kind of, that's, that's the environment that
0: That you grew up in, that I grew up in. It was
2: really great. It was horrible.
0: And David, you, you grew up though in a, in a Christian family. So that means that you had no problems growing up. Nothing. Everything was perfectly healthy in the way you, you interacted, right? Is that pretty much the case? Because that's true, right? (coughs) If you're a Christian family, it's perfect. No problems.
3: All right, guys. He's, he's setting you up, right? Everybody knows that there's a, a lot of a winking going on here. Right. I did have a, a Christian upbringing, quote-unquote. My parents followed the Lord the best they knew how, and we went to church. I was People say they were raised in the church. It's a big test, evangelical mm-hmm. testimony term. I literally was raised in the church. My mom was a secretary, and it, until I went to kindergarten, I ran around there five days a week on my own, mm-hmm. and it was like my playground, but... Um, it was interesting. My church was one that taught a lot about guilt and a lot about rules. Um, even ju- we know the term relationship with Christ, right? We we, we say that yeah. oh yeah, relationship it's all about your relationship with Christ, but they they never taught me that God ever spoke back. You were always just sort of doing stuff hoping that you were okay. Mm. I'm like I don't know what kind of relationship with that is, but it seemed a little messed up. Mm. But this is the way much of the way my family operated too. My parents didn't talk to one another. We were like the, my brother and I, he's four years older than me. We were like the kids and everybody loves Raymond. If you ever watched that show, you might have watched it and not realized there's kids in it, right? They just sort of like screamed through the background once an episode. That was us. We knew to file upstairs and play with our Legos, come down when summoned for meals and to do chores. But other than that, my dad sat on one side of the living room, not talking to my mom, sorting baseball cards after he had put in a 10 hour day and she would read Christian romance novels in silence on the other end of the couch. And uh, mm. that was pretty much our, our life. You know, my, my brother and I talk about some of my dad's motivational speeches. One of his to me was, uh, son, son, sometimes you have to settle for a lot less than your dreams. Mm. Um, and then I realized my parents weren't normal. Uh, that happens <laughs> about middle school, right? You start sleeping over at other people's houses and you're like, see the inner workings, and you're like, oh, They talk at meals. Oh, when their dad drives me places, he doesn't pull lithium pills out of the glove box when he gets enraged in traffic. Hmm. Oh, uh, and I realized something was amiss, but it wasn't until I was in college. I was 20 and I was home for the summer and working two jobs because my dad had told me I wasn't working enough to work 48 hours a week. I had to pick up a second job. So I was working 75 hours a week and, uh, got a call one day and he had uh, killed himself hmm. and uh I realized in that moment that was sort of a watershed moment for me and I realized oh there's this thing called depression and oh it's running through our family and oh it's running through my mind and the way I see the world and I knew at that moment I had to get some help and fortunately the Lord really did intervene after that in my life but
0: yeah and you and you said that you were in college then and that the, uh, you said in the first service about the the name of the college and about yes. suicide and how that was seen. Yeah,
3: so I went to a college, it's, it's here in Indiana, and I, I, love, I love the college for many reasons, but it was the denomination I, I grew up in, it's a college attached to that denomination. It's called Grace College. And I was in college at the time my dad committed suicide, and I had heard from several people matter-of-factly, because college students, especially in Christian colleges, know everything. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> college students know it all and uh, they had told me that uh if you committed suicide you went straight to hell like it was like getting on the wrong spot in monopoly like Hmm. so i was like guess how many people i shared my joyous news with that year when i went back Hmm. two one was the girl i was dating and one was my roommate just so he could make sense of the fact that if i cried once in a while he would have context for it Hmm. so yeah that was uh that was not where i found grace uh but i did i did later on
0: yeah so you guys all had some, they would use that image of weights, weights that were handed to you in one way or another, and we all do as human beings, but how did you get to the place now where you're, you're all in a different place and you're, not, not that you're perfect, but you're, you've got some, some, you've different way of seeing yourself, different way of seeing God, and uh, how did you get there? What, what happened that you moved from all this dysfunction like you were talking earlier about sweeping it under the rug um, how no one says, people say don't, don't talk about it, but, uh, and one of the, the signs of a dysfunctional family is don't feel what you feel, and don't talk about what you feel, which is kind of how you grew up, right? How did you get from there to where you are today? What, what happened?
1: Well, if you know me, you know I'm a firecracker, kind of bold, I think I came straight out the womb just raising havoc. Um, And and I I accepted that that's the way that God designed me. So I remember growing up, and my mom was different, and you're kind of small, and like he said, you just kind of grow up thinking, well, that's all families do. And um, I had an aunt who took me to church on a regular basis. And at the time, I don't think she realized that she was planting the seeds for me to harvest. I didn't realize, and I'm like, cool, going to church, just getting away from that life I call hell. I was going. You could have taken me, you know— to a crack house, and I probably thought it was a great idea. I wanted out of that hell. I didn't care. So I spent summers there sleeping on a couch, and we joke about it now. And um, I call her my spiritual mama and uh, my uncle, my, my, my papa bear, um, because they were loving me in a way that they, they knew how. Um, the best advice Pastor Duane gave me was you always, when you're somewhere and you want to be somewhere, you go seek advice from someone who's where you want to be. Say that
0: that again. That's really powerful.
1: When when you're struggling through something and you want to be somewhere, you seek advice from someone who is where you want to be. Mm. So if you want to be successful, you find a successful person. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you find an entrepreneur. You Mm. go to where you want to be and you just keep your eye on the prize. That gives
0: you the perspective to get up. The perspective. You just got to focus on
1: it. I didn't know these things then, but this is how you cannot deny, I don't care who Mm. you are, you cannot deny that God exists. I'm living proof. So my aunt was harvesting the seeds, and um, I didn't really tell her a lot of what was going on with me because it wasn't that she wasn't a safe place. I was just fearful because I've got these two people who were my parents, and they weren't protecting me. They were abusing me on a a daily basis. So um, I just opened up to her, and I just told her the struggles that I was having, and she was planting those seeds. And I sought Christian counseling. I sought the best counselor there is, and I just... I had so many tragedies happen to me in my life. Mm. I, I just I I realized that there was something that clicked that I wasn't gonna stay where I was. I was gonna break the generational cycle, the generational curses, mm. and I'll tell you a little bit abor- more about that in the interview. But there was just something that clicked, and maybe that's that bold firecracker mm. that God designed me to be. If you know me, you could probably high-five it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh and so that that's that's a huge part of your story is getting that perspective yeah
1: the the perspective i didn't even know it you just you kind of get sick of being in that rut You, you can't i can't put my finger on it you just get sick of it so i just kept opening up to my aunt and you need people and if you were here last week pastor scott said it you need people and um i just opened up and i needed her and there was just something about it so i just kept going to her and telling her and and she doesn't realize it then, but she knows it now that I'm, I'm living proof. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. I have an amazing husband of 19 years. I've got two incredible daughters. I'm living proof. If you tell me that there's not a God, mm. unicorns have fallen from the sky in about three minutes.
0: Mm. And now, it's, it, what's so amazing, I don't think you said this already, but you now take care of your mom.
1: Yeah, that's the, um, the kicker. <clears throat> I'm the guardian. I'm legally responsible for. I went to court. I fought for a woman who didn't take care of me. I'm legally her guardian. I, she needs something. She calls me. Um, she calls me a lot of things. That's the irony of it. She still abuses me. She's just not putting her hands on me. Um, she's verbally abusing me. I was in a car accident a couple years ago with my family, and it was, it, it was tragic, and that's where I know there's a God. And she heard about the accident, and she said, that's what you get, baby. That's karma. And I'm on the phone, and I said, Karma? She said, yeah, you, you should have died in that car accident. And I said, Mom, my kids were in that car. She said, just you. Mm. So she's, she's still um, is that, that gem.
0: Yeah, but you're in a different place. I'm in yeah. a different place. that's yeah, great. I'm in a different place. Yeah, yeah. David, what about you? What's the, from he, from there to here, Where what was the <clears throat> thing that got you there?
2: It was definitely a journey, that's for certain. Um, I like to think of it as God kind of graciously keeping me, headed in the right direction Uh, that environment kind of created a kind of a mess of a person as I was moving into high school I was I was the kid you didn't want your kids to hang around with and uh, one person kind of called me out on that it was the father of this girl that I was interested in dating and he um, he sat me down one day and said David why should I let you date my daughter I, I know I know who you are I know your history and it really kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, "He's right. Why would anybody let me date their daughter?" I, I mean, they shouldn't, because I'm a, I'm an abysmal, I'm an abysmal place. I don't do things that anybody wants their kids to be around. And so it, that started. That was a little, a little turn that I took there, and started um, applying myself so that I could win the affections of this man, so I could have the affections of his daughter, and. Um, so I started applying myself in school and things of that nature, and that got me... I, I started realizing, hey, I can, I can do this school thing, and um, I don't have to fail every class. I can actually pass the classes and be on the academic team even. So I really started striving and doing well and started making a change, and um, a lot of that effort was mine. I was putting a lot of work into this, and um, that grew into a whole new beast, though. Uh, I, started, I became very depressed, also very anxious. Uh, because that old army song or slogan they used, be all that you can be, y'all remember that? Um, some of us been around, remember that slogan? Uh, so anyway, so be all that you can be. I was trying to be all that I could be and all that anybody could be. And the pressure of that, the weight of that, as we're talking about, really was a burden. And I became suicidal and uh, admitted myself into a hospital and started seeking treatment. I was talking about seeking help and uh, they, they weren't Christian counselors. In fact, it was actually the opposite. I saw a new age counselor. I didn't realize he was new age, but he was. Um, Realized that later, but anyway, long story, trying to shorten it up. When I got to college, because I went to college, um, continu- had a great freshman year. My sophomore year, I was, I was in the tanks, and um, academically, it was a mess. Uh, I was really stressed out, and thinking about dropping out of college, and my mom's, um, all these years had been praying, or had, in the last, a handful of years leading up to that, my mom had been praying for me and encouraging me to pray and encouraging me um, to turn to God. And I just like, I had had a relationship with God really early, but then got really sidetracked from that and wasn't following that. And she said, J- For just a week, I'll leave you alone. If you'll just for a week, read, read and pray over the Psalms, Psalm 23. I was like, Okay, cliche, mom. Great. Psalm 23. I'll do it. And I did. And by the end of that week, God had really started moving in my life and changing my heart and changing, helping me um, see the person he had created me to be. It's a small glimpse of it. And so, again, a little turn. And, uh, yeah, it kind of grew from there. So it
0: wasn't a, wasn't a, dra- a dramatic moment that everything... You, no. God zapped you and you were healed. No. There's was, there was a, there a progression. Yeah. The work with God along the way. It,
2: and there's been, there's others, to keep it short, can't talk about all of them, but I, there's been other corrections
0: <coughs> and a lot along of times the way, and they're still happening. Yeah, a lot of times when we're really broken, we wish, wish that God would you know, yeah, zap, zap us, this. boom, right. we're healed, and it didn't yeah. work that way.
2: It did not work yeah. that way. It hasn't worked that way for me. Yeah,
0: someone told me once so. that it takes God two years to grow a two-year-old child, so God's into time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so what about you, David? How did you get to where you are? so you see your life differently
3: i do and um one of the things that was just i'll, I'll say miraculous because uh I, def- I definitely didn't see it coming and i wouldn't have chosen it um after that year at grace college at my dad after my dad had committed suicide i decided to transfer back to a college i had attended my first year but i was going to take a uh, summer stop in columbus ohio where my brother had started living and he had started going to this church, and uh, I remember sort of the branch of theology I specialized in, was pretty negative, pessimistic, and this church was not that, and I remember making fun of his theology, hmm. and he said, no, like, I, I really feel like I've met God here, and then the thing that was uncomfortable for me was that he started acting the way I wish that I could, because he was depressed, too. We were both hmm. prone toward depression, and he was, like, acting a lot more alive and things like that. So I went to live with him for the summer, started attending this church, and I just stayed for three and a half years. So I stretched my uh, stay a little bit. And this church was weird, like people hugged me. Like, that sounds funny. I'm, I'm like I'm Pennsylvania Dutch, like German background. And like, we, you know, you might hug at a funeral, like major life events, boat hugging. I don't remember being embraced after the age of four in my house. Um, so I thought that was weird and highly suspicious, but people did that um, and people, this sounds cliche, but it's the most profound thing if you experience it, people acted like the church. People yeah. acted like they took an interest in me, they were warm toward me, that it wasn't just about th- what they could extract from me from, for God's work and God's kingdom. It was like, how did God make me, you know, what, what was I carrying, those kinds of things. Um, and that was that was it. I really started to experience grace there. Hmm. And grace um, again is a, a word we throw around a lot, but I realized uh, this is one of those like hey, I'm just learning uh, dabbling in Greek sort of things like I don't know Greek at all, but I learned that the word uh, gratis is grace or gratitude it means to get something for free, you know that concept. And I started, Realizing that in order to receive things as grace and recognize God's gifts as grace, it required me to be grateful. And mm. and I also realized in receiving grace, I don't know if you know this, in America we, we don't get this message very much. In the kingdom of God, we are meant to create and not just consume. Mm. When you create, you can get gifts, but they don't end in you. If you have grace pour into you and it's not given away, it turns toxic. We like to go to the front door and ask for our fresh, you know, Amazon drone shipment of grace for today. Like, where's my grace? Where's my grace? I want grace. Mm. It's free. But we're supposed to give it away. It turns toxic if it turns if it stays inside of us. Mm. And I've I've learned to this day, this is where I have to course correct. If I'm judging others, it's because I'm judging myself. And it's because I'm not grateful. I'm not receiving grace for what it is Mm. because I'm not letting it flow through me. And I, I know that's my, my little idiot light on the dashboard. You know, that little oil change light or something generally is wrong with your car that it could cost you five or $5,000. That is my, my, my idiot light on my dashboard. When I start being judgmental of others, I know that I'm missing out on grace. Hmm. And I know I'm not cutting myself slack because I don't have any for anybody else either. So I think those are the biggest shifts, but it all came from that, that change of environment, people embracing me, seeing me, allowing me to be seen.
0: Hmm. So if you guys, just an in interested time, if you could, if you could leave people with, uh, they're where you, they're now where you were and they would like to move toward being an emotionally healthy person, dealing with all their junk, what's the thing, if you could just leave them with a thing that you would like to say to them, what would you, what would you leave them with? But if you go first, David.
3: You know, I'm just gonna pick up right where I left off. I, I would really say that gratitude and grace are two big things and and really looking at the connection between those. Um, One person told me one time that it was the best message I ever got from God. It sounds so cliche. He said, I feel like God is telling you it's okay to be happy. And I realized there was nothing really seriously wrong with my life. I was disappointed about a lot of things, but that was another, it, it just ushered me back into like life is a grace and I need to be able to give this away. I'm not just meant to consume everything. If you find yourself responding to feeling depressed or anxious, and you just keep consuming, you just keep going to the Internet or to food or to other things, it's never going to work. Using the same tactic, more of it, is not going to come up with a different result, right? Hmm. So I guess that's one thing I would leave you with, for sure.
0: That's good. Jen, what would you say? Um,
1: I would say, one, to talk about it. Growing up, no one talked about my mom's illness. I realized that my grandma was mentally ill and my dad married what he knew. And then along um, I came and I realized that I wasn't gonna be silent anymore. And my grandma always said my mouth was gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> but I actually, it turned out for the, for the better. Um, a couple things talking about it. I've had people say, I can't believe you talk about it. That's your mother. Why would you do that? And they just wanna shh. Well, guess what, John Collins is here. I'm going to take that rug out from underneath your feet. I'm going to take the broom and the dustpan. I'm throwing it away because I'm going to talk about it. Hmm. I'm going to break the generational cycles. You know what, every day my feet hit the floor. I know I have a purpose. And maybe that's the firecracker in me. Maybe that's the winning spirit. If you know me, I'm bold. I'm courageous. Every day my feet hit the floor, I have something to prove. I may have had a lot of tragedy, but I have a lot of triumph. I'm a victor. I'm not a victim. And forgiveness. I take care of my mom. I'm her guardian. Truth be told, my brother and sister aren't going to do it. No one else is going to do it. I don't do it because I have this undying love for her because she's my mom. I respect her because she's my mom. But here's what I want you to know. I forgive her, and I forgive my father. But I forgive them not because I want to have a relationship with them, but because I care about myself more than they did. I love myself enough to know that I've released them to God. It's not my problem. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to bec- bring awareness to it. And I'm, I'm not going to feel threatened because people get irritated because I talk about it. You know what my response to them is? Where were you? Why didn't you help me? I'm sorry that you have mm. guilt.
0: Mm, good. good. David.
2: I'd follow up on both these points. And I think to grasp or to, to reach for the reality that you are loved by God and if you can ex- truly and deeply accept that you are loved by God even with all the junk that you have in your life and that you've experienced in your lives because we, we're all human beings we have, we have stuff right? we all do um, whatever junk it is whether you, you grew up in it or you, maybe you've been the deliverer of junk to other people whatever that is, accept it, start there, and since so, this is who I am, God, mold me and make me. Um, you've promised to do that, so let's, let's get going on that, and let's, let's make some changes. And as part of that, I said this in the, in the last service, um, and this gets back to what Dave was saying about grace and gratitude and so forth, um, if every night that you end your day, think about three things that you're grateful for, mm-hmm. truly grateful for, Um, Even in the midst of having the worst day, you know, if you can dig deep and find those things, you'll begin to connect with the grace that David was talking about. And you'll be able to connect with the reality that even in the midst of whatever your day was and whatever your life was or is, um, there's a different reality. And that reality is that you are growing as a human being in Christ, hopefully. And uh, there's the opportunity for continual grace and hold on to those nuggets.
0: Yeah. Can we thank them for sharing their stories? Uh, We always leave you with a blessing, so I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. I'd like to just pray for you as we go. Uh, When we're done, if you'd like to pray with anybody about any of these things we've talked about or anything else, uh, we'll have some folks down front that'll be on the down front that can pray with you, and Jen's part of our, our prayer team. She'll be there as well. You'll see some people holding out their hands if you're new, and that's just them saying, hey, I'd like that, That's just kind of a tangible way of them saying, I'd like to receive a blessing, if you're comfortable with that, great, if you're not, that's okay too, receive this blessing, okay, may you know the love of God that doesn't judge you for your weights, and isn't holding them over your head, may you know now, because of that love that you're sent now to love God in return, to love people, and to serve the world in his name, hug somebody, tell them you love them, come pray if you need to,